hey, if you are anything like me, you love a good redemption story. I'm talking about those movies that tell of someone that's made a life change. They make up for their past mistakes. They turn over a new leaf. They turn their life around and things are just better. You know, the movies that make us feel good, the movies that inspire this, the movies that make us want to go out and just make ourselves better. And when I think of redemption, I think of that all-time classic movie, Dumb and Dumber. You know the scene when Lloyd goes and gets the mini bike, he trades the van for it, and he drives up to Harry, and Harry tells him, when no one thought you could get any dumber, you just go and totally redeem yourself. Now we kid, but let's be honest. We do like that total redemption. We like when we turn things around. We want to be a good example for people to look at. We, want, we don't want to be that cautionary tale. We don't want to be that bad example. We want our life to be turned around. In fact, if you're like me, I love redemption. And we want that second chance. And sometimes we need that third and that fourth and that fifth chance. But let's be honest, are our lives really totally redeemable? I mean, if we think about it, are there things that we've done that maybe can't be redeemed? Maybe we can't take back the words that we said to somebody. Maybe we can't take back that lie that we told so we get the promotion or the way that we tore somebody down so that we would look better than they did. Maybe we can't get out of those habits or those addictions that we've slipped back into during this time of shutdown that's been so hard on everybody. I mean, maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and there's something so horrific that you hope no one ever finds out about what you've done in your past. And maybe your past just isn't past enough. There might be some of us that have made mistakes this week that we regret, that we wonder, are we actually redeemable? Can we be redeemed for this? And today I want us to ask, us, ask ourselves this question, what would it look like if we could move on from our past? What would our life look like if we could move on from our past? The great thing is scripture tells us that we can. We don't have to live the rest of our life in the consequences of the choices, of the bad choices that we've made. In fact, as we continue in this book of Joshua today, we're going to see the story of a woman who is able to move on past her past decisions. And it not only affected her family at that point, but it also affected future generations. It gave her a whole new lineage. But before we do that, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this opportunity to see what you have to say to us. And God, I just ask over the next few minutes that you would speak to my heart, that you would speak through me, that the words that I say would be plain and clear. God, we're grateful for your grace and your mercy to us. And I ask that what is done will bring honor and praise to you, and we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we jump into this brand new series last week called A Whole New World, we started in the book of Joshua. And last week in chapter one, we got to look at the life of Joshua as he stepped into the shoes of Moses who had passed on. 
And so here's Joshua trying to fill this role, trying to fill these shoes of Moses who had led the children of Israel through the desert right up to the edge of the new land, right up to the edge of the promised land. And last week we were reminded that Joshua was patient in the timing of God. He waited his turn. He learned for those 40 years as he was Moses' assistant. We see that God equipped him. We see that God instructed him. And as we go through this book, we're going to see the instruction of God, how important it was in the life of Joshua, but also how important it is in our life. And so we come to the next chapter. We come to chapter two of Joshua. And basically here is a million plus people standing on the edge, ready to jump into this whole new world, ready to take it over, ready to grab onto the promises that God had given them. But before they do, Joshua says, I want to make sure we know what we're getting into. He wanted to be prepared. And so we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 1. And here's what the verse says. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly. Now, I think he did it secretly because he remembered the last time they spent spies, spies out. They sent out 12. They came back and everybody decided we ain't going. So he sends them out secretly from Shittim as spies. Man, you got to love that place to be from. And he said this, go view the land, especially Jericho. And when they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. It goes on to say this, and it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Now we read that, that they went to the house of a prostitute. And you say, well, why did they do that? Why would they choose the house of a prostitute? And I wish I could give you this great theological answer. I studied it and I read it and we really don't know why. We hope that they went there because I like to think that there was a lot of traffic coming and going and it was an easy place to hide and an easy place to get lost in. And hopefully that was the reason. But to be honest, sometimes we put people in the Bible on a pedestal they shouldn't be on, and they could have gone to this house to do something immoral. But regardless, they get to the house of Rahab, who in Scripture is pointed out to be a prostitute. In fact, Rahab is mentioned eight times in Scripture, and six of those eight times it says that she's a prostitute. Can you imagine for all of eternity your name being written in a book that is read by hundreds of millions and billions of people and it describes you as something that you really don't want to be described as? Here she is described as a prostitute, as something that she regrets, something that most people look down on. Most people are like, man, that's such a horrible thing. And yet scripture time and time again describes her as a prostitute. But one thing that Rahab understood was her past was her past. And she understood that the condition of her past didn't affect the consideration of her usefulness. See, she looked at her past and God knew about her past, but that God didn't rule out who she was. God had a plan for her life. God had a direction that he wanted her life to go. And here she is labeled in scripture as a prostitute, but God says, listen, I can use you because you're willing to be used. And she didn't get stuck on her past. 
In fact, she got past her past so well that it changed her whole future. It changed the lineage that she was. And you know what? Sometimes we allow our past to determine our future. Sometimes we get stuck in the past. But you know what? That shouldn't affect our usefulness because God understands what our past is and yet he still wants to use us. Paul understood this when he wrote to Titus in Titus chapter number three. He said this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He goes on to say this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, our past doesn't determine our usefulness for God. I told you Rahab's whole lineage changed. And, and man, did it change in a big way. Her past was her past, but God had a, a, he wanted to use her. In fact, she became the great, great grandmother of a guy named David. You know, David the giant slayer? David the favorite king of God? David in the line of Christ. Look what Matthew did in Matthew chapter one. He's describing the lineage of Christ. And look how he lists. He says, and Salmon, the son, the father of Boaz by Rahab. So she goes on and marries Salmon. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse. And if you keep going, Jesse is the father of David. So Rahab is the great, great grandmother of David. What an awesome new lineage that she becomes. She didn't get stuck in her past. You know, I come from a line of preachers. My dad's a preacher and my grandfather was a preacher. My uncles are preachers. But when my dad was 15, my grandfather got up on a Sunday night and he resigned the church and he left my grandma, his wife, and his three boys and left with another woman. And he never came back to the ministry. He never came back to following after Christ wholeheartedly. And one of the things that he struggled with, and I, I realized this more as an adult, he passed away when I was 18, but I realized hearing my dad and my uncles and even my grandmother talk about it, he could never get past his past. He got stuck by what he had done and he felt like, you know what, God could never use me again because of what I did in my past. Fortunately and unfortunately, a year before he passed away, he had a stroke that totally disabled him. He sat in a wheelchair and depended upon other people for everything he did. And if you knew my grandpa, he was a very independent man, very strong. He was a very successful businessman, construction company owner after he left the ministry. But all he could do was sit in that wheelchair. And God got a hold of his heart in that wheelchair. And for the last year of his life, he realized that God loved him for who he was. And God still wanted to use him. And the year before he passed away, the conversations that he had with his sons, that he was able to make things right and that he was able to make his heart right with God because he got past the past. Don't let your past determine your usefulness for God. So the story goes on in Joshua chapter 2. And what happens is 
The, spy, the king hears about the spies, so he sends to Rahab and he says, hey, let me have the spies. And she misleads the king. She lies to the king and to the soldiers. She said, they've already left. In fact, they went that way. You better go that way. But before she hides them on the rooftop of her house, she has a conversation with them. And that's what we see in Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 8. It says, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. It goes on to say in verse number 11, it says, As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So she says, she says, listen, we understand, I understand who God is, and I want you to know that he's the God of heavens and earth. He is the one true God. And so she goes on to say this to him. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. It seems like Rahab has had a change of heart. It seems like she has put her faith in the one true God. It seems like she has turned her back to the lifestyle, to the idols, to what she was raised in. And she says, listen, I know that you serve the one true God. He's the God of heavens and he's the God of earth. And now she has put her faith in the one true God. And what she realized and what we can see from her life is the foundation of her faith was shown by the fruit of her works. She wasn't just giving this God lip service, man. She was willing to take chances. She had fear in her life and yet this faith allowed her to overcome the fear that she had of losing her life to the king. You don't lie to the king. You don't lie to his soldiers. You lose your life for that. And yet she was willing to take that chance. See, her faith lived out in her works. In fact, her faith was so great. There's a passage in scripture called the faith chapter and she makes it in there. Look what it says in Hebrews 11 verse 31. It says, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Her faith was so great that she makes it into the faith chapter of all of Scripture. There are some big names mentioned in that. And then there in verse 31, there's Rahab the prostitute. But she just didn't give that faith lip service. She lived it out. James tells us in James chapter 2, he says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It's important for us to live out our faith. It's important for us to let other people see what we've done. Where has faith made a change in your life? Where can you look at your life before you had your faith in Christ and say, man, I used to be this way, but look what I'm doing now. We need to learn to celebrate the changes that faith has made in our life. We need to celebrate those. We need to show people, say, hey, I used to do this, but man, look what God is doing through me now. 
Sometimes we just need to think about, man, I used to be here, but I'm not anymore. I've made these changes. God working through me and my faith in him is shown by the life that I live now. So the chapter goes on. She had this conversation with the spies. She hides the spies. She's like, listen, you got to help a sister out. Things are going to get pretty tense because your reputation precedes you. We know what your God is doing to people. We want to be protected. And so the spies in verse number 18, they say this to her, chapter 2. They said, behold, when we come into the land, we're coming back. And when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. It goes on to say this. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our head. They're saying, listen, we can only do so much and there are some parameters that this has to work in. Make sure they're in the house with you. The fun thing was her house was on the wall. Her window looked out from the wall. But the spies weren't done warning her. They go on to say in verse number 21, but if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Why did the cord, why did that rope have to be scarlet? What was so important about this red rope? Why did it have to be red? Did Rahab understood why it had to be red? No, it seemed like this was something the spies were adamant about. They said it twice. It's mentioned twice in scripture that, hey, this rope, this cord had to be red. It had to be scarlet. See, the red in the cord was a reminder of the redemption of Christ. Over 40 years ago, they were in Egypt. And their parents would tell these stories of what the Egyptians had done to them and how horrible they had treated them. And God had finally had enough and he said, listen, it's time to let my people go. And so these plagues came upon the Egyptians and they, yet Pharaoh wouldn't let the Israelites go. And so finally God said, listen, this is the last warning. I'm going to come down and my death angel is going to kill the firstborn of every house. And it applied to everybody. And God said, the only way for you to avoid this is to have the blood of a lamb on your doorpost. And so that night, the Israelites, they spread the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And when that death angel came, it passed over their house. Hence the reason we call it the Passover. See, they understood that a lamb had to be sacrificed so they wouldn't lose their firstborn. And just like Rahab had to have that scarlet cord out, it was a reminder to the Israelites as they came into the land that, hey, Christ redeemed us. And the great thing for us is it's a reminder of, for us of what Jesus did when he shed his blood on that cross. When he shed his blood, he redeemed us. We don't have to do the work. He did it for us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 7, Paul wrote this. He said, but God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us, towards us in Christ Jesus. That red was so important because it reminded the Israelites of what God had done for them in Egypt, just like it reminds us of the blood that Christ shed for us because he loved us so much. You know what, sometimes I think it's important for us to remember that we've been redeemed. God gave his son Jesus Christ for us so that we could be redeemed, so that our life could have purpose. And it's so important for us to remember what Christ has done for us. You want to have a new lineage? You want to step into the new world? You've got to accept that redemption of Christ. You've got to accept that gift that Christ gave you on the cross. So going back to the question I asked at the start, is there a life that is unredeemable? And the answer is a resounding no. Every life is redeemable. Christ gave his life on the cross for you and for me. And today you might be standing on the edge of this whole new world. You might say, Barry, you don't understand what my past looks like, and I might not, but that doesn't matter because that doesn't change the condition of your usefulness with Christ. Because Christ has paid the price. He's made a way for you to step into this whole new world. And today, if you want to give your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you just for a minute to just bow your head and close your eyes. We want to talk to God for just a minute. And if today you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to say something like this. God, I I want to confess my sins to you. I believe, Jesus, that you are God, and I want to thank you for dying to pay the price for my sin. God, thank you for rising from the dead. And today I I want to lower myself. I want to lay down my pride, and I want to give myself to you. Right now, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. God, we thank you for those that have put their faith and their trust in you. We thank you for those that have accepted that redemption. God, we're grateful for what you did for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've made that decision, we would love to talk to you. We would love to help you. We would love to answer any questions that you might have. And if you would just take a minute and text Mile City to the number that you see on your screen, we'll just give you a call. And we're not going to hound you, but we just want to be there to help you. We want to be there to encourage you. We want to be there to answer anything that you might have.